Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise. Examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues, Hammond.Institute. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Mars. The St. Louis area has produced a long list of entertainment luminaries from the worlds of film, theater, and music. Any list of musicians would include Miles Davis, the renowned jazz trumpeter and composer who grew up in Alton and East St. Louis. His awards and accomplishments are legendary and include eight Grammys, more than 30 Grammy nominations. His story is a long one, including amazing highs in his field and some agonizing lows. His story is told in detail by St. Louis native, author, and poet Quincy Troop. His work includes Miles, the Autobiography, and Miles and Me, a memoir about his friendship with Davis. And uh, Quincy Troop is joining me in studio now. You guys hit it off right from the get-go, didn't you? Uh, not really. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't hit it off. We hit it off, but not good. You know, he kind of dissed me the first time. Oh, I thought you went in for an interview that was supposed to last 90 minutes, and it wound up being 10 hours. Yeah, but he had dissed me before that, uh, just when I would meet him in different places. He would uh, just diss me. How so? Oh, he just wouldn't talk to me. Uh, One time I I wanted to speak to him, and he just... Uh, shot me off, brushed, brushed off. me off like that, yeah. and uh, and the first time when I went to meet him uh, to do the piece because then I was writing for, uh, for for Spin magazine and the New York Times and all that. Mm-hmm. I went to interview him for Spin, and uh, when I walked in, he made me stand up for twenty five minutes. You know, my knee my knee was bad at the time, <laughs> and then he told me to go sit down over there. So I run run around and sat in front of him, just like I'm sitting in front of mm-hmm. you. And uh, he reached out and grabbed my, I have dreadlocks, but they were thicker then. And he grabbed my hair and pulled it like that and said, how you get your hair like that? And I hit his hand, bang. And he pulled his hand back and said, what? Are you crazy? What you hit me for? I said, Miles is space, Quincy space. Miles is space, Quincy space. Because I'm over here to do an interview with you. Don't give you a right to invade my space. And he said, where are you from? You crazy? Where you from? I said St. Louis, Missouri. He said, "No, nah, I know you crazy." <laughs> I said, "Not only that, the first band you played in was my cousin Eddie Randall's band." Eddie Randall was your cousin? I said, "Yep." And he said, "Well, just don't see." He took off his dark glasses and said, "Don't sit there, ask me a question." And that was the beginning. That's why I was there thirteen hours. Yeah. What kind of a guy was he? I mean, I I, I know the answer to this question because he was apparently all over the place. In terms he, of personality and mood and that sort of thing, he was a he was a very for me. I got to know him really well as a friend, uh, but at first, he, you know, he was hard to get to know. He was hard to get to know, and he was rough. But if he liked you, if he liked you and respected you, he was great. I mean, he was a wonderful friend. I mean, he was he was generous. He was kind to my wife and myself and my family. Um, he cared about us. Uh, he um, and everybody else that he knew, especially the musicians who knew him well, and uh, he was just—he was a gem, you know. But if he didn't like you, you knew it right away. You, I mean, you knew it right away, and you knew it forever. He'd never want to know you, and he could be rough. I mean, he could put you out of, put you out, and just curse you out. I mean, and I found out later that the reason he did that was because he was very, very shy. He was a very shy person. He didn't know how to handle people. And then he found out the way to keep people off of him 
was just to be really rough with them, really rough with them, and they wouldn't bother him. I, I've seen six feet, five-inch guys run away from Miles because he just cursed them out, and they were like, whoa, and, and, and they, wouldn't, they would never bother him. So that was his whole strategy in dealing with people and handling his own shyness um, and, and, and people. He didn't want to be around a lot of people. He's one of those kind of persons. He was a, per, a man who did not want to be around a lot of people, he, and he, he, uh, he hated fools, hmm. black, white, or whatever. So he was not, a lot of people, one of the things, I wanna get this right now, one of the things, he was not racial. He was not racist, he was not racial. Uh, but, he, uh, but he knew who he was, and he knew he was growing up like I did in St. Louis, and he knew what that meant in regard to black people and white people. He understood what that was like I do, hmm. you know? And uh, so that's where he was at, you know? Well, in getting ready for our discussion, I was surprised to learn that he spent some time at Juilliard. He he grew up in upper middle class, I would almost say. Rich. Yeah, I mean, he was affluent. Yeah. And, you know, we don't often think of that when we think of someone growing up in East St. Louis, at least. To, right. His, we don't. his father owned 300 acres of land. He had horses. He, he uh, raised pigs and cows, and that's where Miles grew up. He grew up very, very affluent. He grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, as so to speak, and uh, so he didn't. Ne- he never suffered for anything, uh, because his father made money. He was a dentist. His m- mother was a school teacher, and they came from a family of, of well-to-do black people. I think when people think about black people, sometimes they don't think about p- uh, people being well-to-do. Mm-hmm. I grew up like that. Mm-hmm. I grew up like that. My father was a great baseball player and I grew up between St. Louis and Mexico, St. Louis and Cuba, St. Louis and Puerto Rico, you know, and uh, uh, because he played baseball. It had nothing to do with me and uh, I had had somebody who took care of me uh, every day, a maid and all that. So, Mm -hmm. but when they see black people, they don't think they grew up like we grew up like that. It's a terrible stereotype it's that pe- terrible. Pe- people have. And, and in your book, you point out uh, in your own growing up, you did grow up in a racist environment right here in St. Louis, didn't you? Yes, I did. I grew up, uh, and I went to Beaumont. I was one of the first black people to go to Beaumont. And uh, <clears throat> if it hadn't been for uh, Coach Tom Stanton, uh, who was a great coach over there at Beaumont High School? He he loved the way I played, and he let me be on the team, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was the first black player to play over there, and uh, they all hated me. A lot of people, a lot of the kids hated me, mm-hmm. and um, I had to beat up beat up a white guy one day so bad, you know, to let him say, "Look, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't go there." You know what I mean? Because I'm not taking it, and he never did it again, you know. So I, I think a lot of people. They just give in to it, and they and just kind of go along to get along. Yeah. Well, I'm not like that. I wasn't raised like that, and I have a lot of white friends have always had. And but I, but respect gets respect. That's the way mm-hmm. I look at it. How did uh, do you think that his his upbringing uh, in, informed Miles Davis's music? I think I think Miles' father told him not to ever. Uh, 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 imitate anybody to be his own original voice. His father was always telling him, "Don't, don't, don't, don't. You be your own man. You be your own original voice." And the people he listened to, Dizzy and all those great people, uh, Chet Baker, uh, uh, not Chet Baker, but uh, uh, what's his Coltrane? name? Coltrane. Not Coltrane, the trumpet player from St. Louis, um, uh, who I knew. Uh, I'll think of him in a minute. He was a great trumpet player from St. Louis, uh, and. Uh, 
thing, a big spider bag. Mm. That's not a trumpet, though, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he was from Iowa. Yeah. But, he, uh, but uh, Clark Terry, Terry, Clark Terry, Clark Terry, of course. But Clark yeah. Terry, Clark Terry. Uh, and then it was another old guy who didn't get much uh, attention that he uh, that he that he imitated too. Mm. And they all taught him. They all taught him. He listened to him. And uh, he he asked uh, who was it? He asked Dizzy one day, why why can't I play like you? Why can't I play like you? And so Dizzy told him when he was real young, he said, you do play like me, but you only play in the lower register. I play in the higher register up here, but you play down here, but you play the same notes. You play the same notes. He said, so pursue that. Do it like that. No. Well, we want to listen to some of his music okay. and get some sense of the, the variety. Okay. I mean, he didn't stick with one thing. Uh, he, he was all over the place, too, in terms of innovation and experimentation with music, didn't he? Well, he thought, you know, like, you know, he always, he, he felt like I feel, that human beings evolve. You hear when you're young, you hear when you're this age, and you hear when you're that age, and when you get an adult, you keep growing. You keep growing, which means that you keep changing. You can't stay in the same place because you don't have the same interests. You don't, your voice is not the same. And he was listening to different things, and he went through all these periods. So that's why his music changed so much. Well, let's, let's go back to a somewhat early part. That would be 60 years ago, okay. the album Kind of Blue. What can you tell me about Kind of Blue? Beautiful album. Kind of Blue is just a absolutely stunningly original might be one of the greatest al- jazz, I don't like the word jazz, but albums that have ever been recorded uh, because he has all those great musicians on there, Bill Evans, uh, John Coltrane, Cannonball, Adelaide, all those people, and he just let them play. You know what he did? He came in and gave them, each one of them, little pieces of paper. You know, everybody had a little piece of paper and said, play that, play that figure, because he wanted it to be free, and uh, he didn't give them charts. What about So What from uh, from uh, Kind of Blue? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Anything wonderful. I should know about that before we listen to a little? The same thing. Yeah. So what? You know, he used to say that. That was his. That came from his phrase. And somebody come up and say, you know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I knew you when you were little. He said, so what? <laughs> so what? So what? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the late Miles Davis from the album Kind of Blue, the recording of So What. You know, people say that they can hear his music and know exactly who it is. 
uh, just by listening without anybody saying, that's Miles Davis. How, how so? Is that, is that really something people can do? And if so, how and why? I can. I can. I don't know about other people. Some people, a lot of people can. I, I hear his tone. I hear his voice. Miles has a very unmistakable voice, very mm-hmm. um, unmistakable pitch and tone and delivery. And so, and it's Midwest. It's a Midwestern voice. And I can hear it. I can hear the voice and I know it's him. Uh, if it, I don't care what. It, one tune can come over. You know, I'm riding down the street and I hear this, this smiles and smiles. And I, I just know it. He has some pretty good people with him on that album, as he did with m- many of the things that he produced. You, you said uh, a moment ago that uh, you would not call that jazz. I would. I'm not an aficionado. But it sounds like jazz to me. Mm-hmm. No, I think that Miles and I, that's what we, we really agreed on. Right, He asked me one day, I said something about jazz. And he said, I don't call it jazz. I call it music. Uh-huh. It's just music. It's just different kinds of musics. You know, it's, it's this. But he said, people always like to label things so they can talk about it. He says, it's just music to me. He would never, and I don't either. I think it's music. And, uh, you know, people like to say, okay, that's African music. Well, what do you mean it's African music? You don't say, okay, that's European music. It's music. It's music. It's not classical music. It's music, you know. I'd like to pay, play a clip from, uh, uh, from the album uh, B- uh, Bitches Brew. Okay. Uh, can we say that on public radio? I, I guess it's too late now, isn't it? You anyway, it? you talk about music. How musical is this? Davis, of course, with Bitches Brew and uh, Quincy Troop. I wish people could have seen you listening to that. You really got into that. Um, it doesn't sound very musical to me. Okay. Uh, well, it's probably generational. Well, it could be. <laughs> and the way you hear things. Yeah. And uh, But I asked Miles about, uh, about Bitches Brew. I mean, when I, I had to ask him all these questions when I was yeah. writing a book with him. And, uh, and he tried to say to me, he said to me, we were riding in a car. We were riding in my car, and uh, he said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? He was talking about some car horns. Uh-huh. Did you hear that? Yeah. And, and he was making all the noise in New York. We were in New York. In New York City, we were driving in Manhattan. And he said, you hear that sound? You hear that? Look at that. Listen, listen, listen. He said, that's bitches brew. All those sounds, those car horns, the sounds, how they come in and out. And I just, I just orchestrated it. It must have been terrific to, to, to watch this creativity and, and, and have it come at you in situations like this. 
driving in a cab in New York and listening to the car horns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, he, you know, he was always open to listening to anything. I mean, he was his, his ears were like big, like that, yeah. receptacles, you know. Yeah. And he told me one day, you know, I'm a, you know, how to describe me, I'm a gigantic sponge. I just sponge up everything. Soak it all in. Soak it all in, yeah. everything. And that's what he was. He just soaked every. If he heard something he liked, he just, he just did it. He just, I mean, like I asked him one day about Chuck Berry, who was from St. Louis. I said, how come you and Chuck Berry never got together? You born the same year, 26, 1926. He, he was born in 1926. You're across the river in East St. Louis, Alton in East St. Louis, and he's in St. Louis. He lived, grew up, I grew up down the street from Chuck Berry. And he said, you know, Chuck. You know, we. I really wanted to meet him and hmm. and play with him just to get him. To, he said, but we just never did. He said everybody was threatening. You know, yeah. then rock and roll. See, that's what he said. That's what he said. Rock and roll and jazz don't meet. He said that's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. He said so. I just love Chuck Berry, and he did. So that's what I'm saying. He he was open to everything. He was open to rock and. He was open to everything. That, that would have been an interesting collaboration, Miles Davis and Chuck Berry. Speaking of other musicians, we have a caller here who has a question about uh, about uh, Miles Davis and another a musician of some repute. Let's bring in uh, Will calling from uh, St. Louis. Go ahead, Will. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, first I want to say hi to your guest. But listening to him speak uh, and, and the similarities between Miles Davis and Prince as far as their artistic genius, and their constant uh, uh, need to challenge themselves and, and evolve as artists. I know they collaborated on some things, and I know that they both had a lot of respect for each other, but I just wanted to know if your guests uh, could uh, illuminate anything about that relationship between uh, Prince and Miles Davis, because they did work together for, for a minute. And uh, that's all I really wanted to know, know if you knew anything about that special relationship between those two musical geniuses. Thank you, Will. Yeah, I used to see Prince together with Miles. Uh, I met I met Prince through Miles. I met Prince through Miles, and as a matter of fact, we were supposed to, you know, collaborate some in the future after that. And uh, but they were both a, a change artists. They always wanted. They didn't want to change. They didn't set out to change. As I was saying earlier, uh, they just changed uh, through the course of uh, rev evolution. You know, they, just, they went from this listening to kind of blue to bitches brew. You know, yeah. and then on the corner, you know, and then uh, with Gil Evans, with the big band, you know, with the big band. And so he was, Miles heard all of that, and so did Prince. Prince, I can tell you, idolized Miles Davis. He idolized him. That was one of, that was basically his his mentor. And uh, Miles loved him, too, uh, just as a person, as a human being. You know, he, they got along real well. They were mercurial. They were both mercurial uh, people. In a way, they were very mercurial and uh, and changed a lot, and so uh, that's why they got along so well. That's why they got along so well. Was Amanda his uh, his last studio recording? I'm gonna tell you a story now. Go ahead. Uh, I told him about Amanda. Amanda came out of a thing that we had. Uh, he, I told I came back. I used, I, I used to travel to Africa all the time, which he didn't go to, and the West Indies, which he didn't go until later. I arranged for him to go to Guadeloupe. And Martinique, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and there's a music called Zouk, Z O U K, 
Z-O-U-K, by Kassav, a group, Kassav, which is a, a group of, uh, of uh, Martinicans and Guadalupians. And, that, and they have a music called Zook. And I came back and I told him that he ought to listen, listen to this music, Zook. You would like it. You would like it. And he said, oh, okay, really? So I brought him Kassav. I brought him the music of Kassav. And he called me up and said, wow, where can I get all this music? So he went out and bought all of Kassav's music. And out of that came a mandala. Out of that album came a mandala. I, got, I have a recording. I have a, a videotape of Miles and me talking live at the Studio Museum of Harlem in front of a live audience of about 1,000 people. It was 5,000 people outside, couldn't get in, you know, it, it, the two of us. So I say to him, and it's, it was, I got a, a recording of a, a video. I said, oh, hey, Miles, can you, okay, talk about Zook, talk about Zook. He said, oh, okay, Quincy, I know what you want. Quincy introduced me to, go, don't you want me to talk, tell them, I, you introduced me to Kassab. I said, no, I want you to talk about Zook. And he did. He started talking about it, about how he heard that music, and Manila came out of it. Let's listen and see if we can hear what you're talking about here. Okay. Again, different, different. But you can hear the, that beat. That's, I guess, what you're talking about. Yeah. You see the constant changing and the moving, the moving of, 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 of the moving, you know, and, and moving away from something but keeping it. He brings it along with him, but he he, he ups the ups the ante, you know. He changes the voice of the song. There is so much to talk about with regard to Miles Davis. Of course, his, his health issues and the drug issues are uh, have been fairly well documented, and you certainly addressed them in the book Miles and Me, which is going to become a movie, as I understand it. Congratulations Thank to you. you on that. Thank you. Folks want to learn more about Miles Davis. They can do so tonight at the St. Louis County Library headquarters on Lindbergh. You're going to be there at 7 o'clock, and you're going to be reminiscing uh, as we have been here, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm going to talk about Miles tonight and Miles and Me. The movie will come out either later, late, late this year or early next year. Denzel Washington is uh, uh, directing the movie. Michael K. Williams is in it. I wrote the screenplay, and they have uh, they got a whole group of great people going to be in it. That's got to be very exciting for you to be a part of something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know. Uh, you know, but they told me, I'll tell you what Denzel told me, told me, I, I was bugging him. He said, just stay back in the corner. I'm making this movie. <laughs> All right. Well, you can hear more about that tonight at 7 o'clock at the St. Louis County Library. Quincy Troop, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And the, the book is wonderful. Great stories in there. Thank you, you so much. a terrific job. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.